is a sense of being grateful for that experience. And I know that sounds really strange. Experiences like that where you're so traumatized, it alters the course of your life completely. And you have to use it to sort of fuel and empower yourself. And you have to use it, I think, in, in good ways. And I feel like I've done that. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Eyes Up, Heart Open. I'm Carla Tenike. I started my podcast journey as a way to connect with people from all walks of life, giving them space to share their stories with me, one person at a time. When we met, yeah, and one of the things I noticed about you that you can't obviously on a podcast see, right, this is not a visual, right, um, is you have extensive burns on your hand, yeah, and I always wondered. I don't even, I don't know that I asked you about it. You know, not many people do ask me about it anymore. And I think it's, um, I think some people just, either they don't notice. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I know, totally don't even notice anymore. Yeah, I no. Um, or I think they just, um, I don't know, it's like asking somebody with one eye, like, what the fuck happened to your eye? Like you know? my cat? Yeah. Except he can't talk and tell you. Yeah. People <laughs> ask me all the time what happened. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I keep asking him, but he won't tell me. So I think some people are just like, all right, I'm not going to, you know, ask the question. You know, does that bother you that people don't ask, or does no, it you I do? No, because I, I don't. I mean, I, I obviously always know it's there. It's sort of haunted me for my whole life since it happened. But um, no, it doesn't bother me at all because I've told the story so many times. Yeah, and um, it's really a, a quite a long story. So to have to go through the whole story and tell it properly to someone is a lot. So I just yeah. tell the short version, and they say, "Oh, okay." And yeah. then we leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. So what is the story? Well, what, what happened? I, um, when I was 12 years old, I was going through a really rough time. Um, my mom was a single mother and she was working a lot. So I was sort of left home to my own devices. And um, I sort of got mixed up with the wrong crowd. And um, I was experimenting with drugs, nothing crazy. Um, but I was just sort of with the wrong people and... Um, acting out and being silly and I think I was also a little bit depressed so I was 12 years old and I had tried to commit suicide and at the time my best friend lived across the street and I like you know made one of those really um, uh, dramatic phone calls you know like I'm gonna kill myself and there's nothing you can do to stop me you know and then he walked out his front door and walked across the street and <laughs> stopped you. Yeah, and stopped yeah. me. <laughs> um, and, you know, called my mom. And my mom was so scared and nervous and, um, you know, brought me to the hospital and they decided to admit me. So I spent, I think it was about a month and a half in the um, psychiatric ward of Waterbury Hospital. I lived there. I went to group therapy tried to figure out what my problems were, um, made a lot of friends there. I didn't want to leave because I wasn't going to school and I had my friends there. It was sort of like a really weird thing. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, I was diagnosed with being depressed. I was put on Paxil and I was sent home about a month or plus, a month and a couple weeks after I was admitted. And then three days later, my clothes caught on fire and I was burned and I was back in the hospital. But this time, you know, was much, much different. So um, my mom had left for work, and we um, lived in my hometown of Naugatuck at the time. And we lived on a second-floor apartment. And underneath us was um, an elderly woman and her, like, middle-aged son. My mom had left for work. She was a waitress at a restaurant, and she had left for her lunch shift. It was in the morning, and um, I had woken up. 
and um, got on the phone with my friend, and we were three-way calling some guy in, you know, and I was like 12, 13 years old. Um, and I was playing with matches, and I was lighting the match and blowing it out, lighting another match and blowing it out. I guess just like sort of mindless, right. stupid stuff when you're at that age. I don't know. And um, I was talking on... A, old school phone, you know, that's connected to the wall. And I was sitting, I was, I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting in a chair and I had lit a match and I thought I had blown it out, but I had rested and I had rested it on my knee. And, um, I was just chatting away and all of a sudden I felt heat down by my legs. And, rem- and just to remind you, I was sitting in a chair and I had a nightgown on and I looked down and my entire nightgown around my legs was completely engulfed in flames. So my first thought was, I'm going to get electrocuted from the phone. So I remember throwing the phone and I was screaming. And I can, o- I can only imagine what they were hearing on the other end. Because at, at one point I was in a conversation with my young teenage friends. And then the next second I was, they could hear me screaming in the background. I know that they had... They had stopped and called 911. I think I was screaming for them to do that. But my first reaction was not to like stop, drop, and roll. I was just going to ask you that. No, I, I didn't think to do that at all. And you know, when you're put in situations, you just never know how you're going to react, yeah. you know? My first reaction was to run. So I'm mm-hmm. in this, in this two-bedroom apartment, and I was in the living room, and I ran from the living room into the dining room, which led into the kitchen. And I was using my hands to pat down my nightgown, which is why my hands were so burned. Um, and finally, the nightgown actually burned off of me and burned onto... It just fell off me, and it was just burning the linoleum floor right in front of the bathroom, which is attached to the kitchen. And I remember just standing there, and you're sort of in shock. And I can't really describe shock, like what shock is like. It's just sort of like the world is doesn't make any sense, and you're just not sure what is happening, and you can't believe what's happened. You don't know what to do. So here I am, this 12-year-old girl, home alone, and my hands were all burnt. My entire stomach was burned, and my thighs were burned, like my upper thighs. Um, And I think there were like small burn patches on my sides and um, I know that my hair was all burnt off and my eyebrows and my eyelashes were all burnt off. So my first instinct was I just was looking down at my hands and I knew that we had the neighbors downstairs so I thought okay I have to somehow get downstairs and get them to help me. So I don't know how I opened the door because, you know, we had yeah. obviously a knob, right? I don't know how I did that, to be honest with you. Because my hands literally were, they had like no skin. I mean, it Ugh. was it was horrible. And I don't think the pain had hit me quite yet. I think my mind was saying, okay, you need to get someone to help you. And then you can start to experience whatever comes next, right? right? So I somehow opened the door. I walked down the stairs. And I, I, I had on a, a little, like a sports bra and I remember my San Francisco 49er boxer shorts that I would like you know wear under my clothes or whatever and I remember using my elbow to bang on their door 
And this little old lady, I mean, she must have been in her 80s. She, her son wasn't home. She opened the door and she was like, oh my God. She just, you know, motioned for me to come inside and she brought me into the kitchen, <clears throat> excuse me, and immediately put my hands under water. I don't know if that was the right decision to make or... And I just remember standing in front of the sink with my fingers spread open and like skin is falling off. I mean, it was horrible with the water running and that is when it hit, the, the pain hit. And it wasn't just on my hands, it was on my stomach, it was on my legs. I mean, I had third and almost fourth degree burns. God. So it was, all of a sudden, I just remember the pain. And it was, she had called the fire department, because don't forget, upstairs, my nightgown is still burning on the floor. So she called the fire department, and she had also called my mom at work. My mom actually made it to the house before the fire department did. And she came in, and I just remember her face. She was, like, panicked. She didn't know what to do. The fire department came in. I just remember getting on a stretcher. They put me into the volunteer ambulance. And um, they were bringing me to the hospital. And I'll never forget, I was in the volunteer ambulance, and it was driving. And there was maybe this 18-year-old. I don't know what you call the volunteer. They're not paramedics, but Mm. they're, you know. He was 18 years old, so young. I just remember he had zits all over his face and he was shaking and he didn't know what to, like he was terrified. And I thought to myself, okay, well, if he's... (laughs) So not comforting. If if he can't handle this situation, how how bad is this situation, right? Oh my gosh. So they actually had to stop the ambulance um, right in front of Hot Brook on the way to Waterbury Hospital. I can't believe I remember these things so vividly. They had to stop the ambulance and wait for the actual paramedics. So we were stopped on the side of the road. The paramedics came, and they switched me to, um, I think, the you know, a paid-for like service. The legit the paramedics. Legit. <laughs> oh, my God. And I just, you know, I remember them just pouring um, saline solution over my hands. And um, every time they would pour the water, it, it would be relief. But it was, like, for a second because as soon as that air hit, the burn, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. There's no way to truly describe what it feels like to be burned like that. I mean, I'm sure you've been burned before on the stove. Or... Like tiny amounts. Yeah. And it hurts. Oh, it And sucks. it's bullshit. It's yeah. not even anything. I cannot even imagine what that must feel like. Yeah, it was, it's the worst pain I've ever felt. It was horrible. Horrible. So they bring me to the hospital and they wheel me into the emergency room. And I remember just laying in the bed, and there's this bright white light, and there's people moving all around. My mom was sitting next to me. And when you're, when you're um, sick like that, when you're in so much pain and you're a kid, all you want to do is, like, hold your mom's hand. You know, there's, like, something mm-hmm. very comforting about that. And... It was so, tra- like, I was so traumatized. I just wanted to reach out and be, t- like, touched, and I couldn't even have that because my hands were just yeah. n- raw. And I looked down, and I remember they were cutting skin off my hands. I mean, it was 
it was horrible and they were trying to give me pain medication. I mean, I was screaming. And finally I came to a place where I was just sort of daisy. And my mom was sitting there. I mean, she's just crying, but you know, crying like moms do, not hysterical in front of you, but right. you can tell. I mean, yeah. she was just completely as traumatized. And I just remember feeling so guilty. And I, my, my one concern was that she was going to be angry with me about what happened. And I kept apologizing to her. And I kept saying, Mom, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I did this. Please don't be mad at me. And when you're, I don't know, when you're a kid or just, I think, even today, there's things that I, I feel like you could feel the same way about, yeah. right? But here you are in pain and in shock and, you know, disfigured for life. And your only concern is the person who you love the most, making sure that they are, you know, that you know that how sorry you are. And she was just, you know, mommy loves you. I mean, I just, I remember this dialogue and I was just so concerned that she was going to be angry with me. And then from that point on, it gets very foggy for a while because I was so heavily medicated, so heavily medicated. Um, and the pain was so intense. It was something I, I just can't even describe. And it's not just isolated in one place. I mean, it was my hands, my legs, my stomach. Yeah. It was really horrible. And I had to have a few surgeries to clean the wound, so they call that a debridement, which is um, they were afraid that fibers from the nightgown got into my into my you know tissue, and that can be a huge cause of infection. So they I think they did three debridement surgeries to over the course of several weeks while I was in the hospital, and it's just basically cleaning the wounds, but it leaves you completely raw. Like it, they just keep scraping everything off. So I was in the psychiatric ward for a month and a half, then three days pass, and then I accidentally light myself on fire. Um, so this little psychiatrist comes in and he said, well, you know, we're fairly certain that you've tried to commit suicide by lighting yourself on fire, which really upset me because, um, you know, I had, I had worked hard in, yeah. in the psychiatric ward for that month and a half. And it genuinely wasn't true. Um, you know, that's that wasn't the motivation. I mean, it was just an accident. It was purely a freak be, accident. It, well, it was purely it was being irresponsible in a sense. I mean, it was being twelve years old using a twelve year old's mentality of what is, a you know, safe or, you know, lighting matches and and blowing them out or and forgetting to blow one out or not blowing one out and catching your clothes on fire is a, a very stupid decision. You know, you should have right. never been playing with matches to begin with right um my clothes actually the nightgown that i was wearing was supposed to be flame retardant so it was a child's nightgown and it wasn't it's was actually extremely flammable so that explained the acceleration of the so the manufacturer of that um, was held liable for how flammable the garment was so children's um pajamas and garments in general are supposed to be flame retardant so like things like this don't happen yep. and um, mine wasn't it was actually quite it was a quite flammable so I was in the hospital for all those months having those debridement surgeries and then having plastic surgeries um, I remember vividly 
when they took me off my morphine drip, it was a, it was the day before I think my second debridement surgery, and I freaked out. No, of course I think I was had become a little addicted to the opiate, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was on a morphine drip for like two weeks at that point, and I don't Jeez. I don't think that's I don't think they're allowed to do that anymore actually. But they came in to remove my morphine drip, and I was having that surgery the next day, and that surgery is quite painful. Um, and I freaked out. I mean, I called the nurse. I kicked her. And I was so angry. I couldn't believe that they were taking away the only thing that I felt like was keeping me alive because the pain was so great. So I had several plastic surgeries in that initial phase. Um, I had to have a lot of skin grafts because my skin was gone. So I have some of my own skin. I have cadaver skin. So... On my pinky finger, this finger was actually um, completely bent forward um, because of the burn. Burns disfigure you in a way that I think people don't quite understand unless you've seen a burn victim. Mm. So um, the Shriners, which is a free institution for burn children with free surgeries, um, they take care of cases where children have been burned from head to toe. So if you've ever seen someone who's been burned, you know how disfiguring it is. And for me, it was disfiguring in the sense that my my fingers lost their range of motion. They were almost um, in sort of like a claw. Uh, They were like claws and, you know, things were stuck together. Mm. It's all very strange how, I mean, you're literally melt your, 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 your skin melts and then it fu- sort of fuses. So that's where I was with my, um, with my hands and um, my legs and my stomach. So I had a lot of skin grafts. Again, some of it was my own skin, which they take from a part of your body and use. And then some of it was cadaver, which was this dead people's skin. Does um, it leave a big scar when you take it from your own body? No, actually. It, it's sort of, um, it's the least painful. Um, it sort of feels like a little bit of like road burn, a rug burn. Interesting. And they just take the top layer and a skin graft is, um, they take the top layer and they use a machine to sort of stretch it out. And a skin graft almost looks like a, a, a basket weave. So you know when you buy... I'm trying to think, like av- avocados or something at the grocery store, and it comes in that sort of yeah. diamond, and it, and it, it stretches that out, bag. that yeah. stretchy bag. That's sort of what they do with the skin, and then the skin itself sort of grows and fills in. So yeah. um, I have cadaver skin on, on parts of my body that was um, burned the worst, so thir- third and, and almost fourth degree. My wrist, my left-hand pinky was burned very bad. And then here, mm-hmm. too. And I still have the nightgown, actually. The fire department kept it in, in, in this evidence can. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No, we talked about it because I was going to photograph you, remember? Yeah. And photograph you with that. Yeah. yeah. I photographed it when I was in college, actually. I, was, I took a photography course in college, and it was supposed to tell a part of myself, a story, or use photographs to tell a story about myself that was significant. And so I had photographed yeah. my nightgown. Um, but, I, yeah, I still have that. So, um after all my surgeries, you know, I'm in the seventh grade. So I was in the hospital for several months. And then I think it turned into summertime. So I was out of school. I was home. And then I had to be homeschooled because I couldn't go back to school for a while because I had to have way more surgeries. And I had gained an 
amazing amount of weight during this time mm. because I was so sedentary or sedentary and um, had no activity and I was if I was depressed before you can only imagine what life was like afterwards I mean I was just completely depressed you know my friends came to see me in the hospital some of them um, but prior to prior to this whole incident, I had just switched schools. I was being bullied in the sixth grade in the middle school that I was going to, so my mom moved me and her to the other side of town so I can go to a different middle school and hopefully make new friends and not be bullied. So I was new in the seventh grade. It was my first year. And this sort of happened in the beginning, so I really didn't have very many friends there. Mm. Um, just my best friend across the street and a few people I had met. So I was just didn't have anybody except my mom. Mm. Um, so I gained a lot of weight. I mean, I think I, when I went into the hospital, I think I was like 120 pounds. And by the time all was said and done, I think I had gotten to like 180 pounds. So, I mean, I had gained so much weight at such a young age, yeah. which is talk about being traumatized because now you're disfigured. But then now I'm fat. Mm. I mean, it was it was really tough. So I was lucky enough to be accepted into the Shriners, and um, they have a hospital in Boston. They have a few hospitals around the country. It's a really great organization. So um, if anybody uh, donates to charity, or um, if anybody who is you know listening has been burned, it's a great it's a great um, organization that fully pays for all surgical and medical care of burned children. So um, I think by the age of 13, I had gone back to school, but I was sort of still in and out because I was having surgeries, plastic surgery. And I went to the Shriners in Boston um, because what they were going to do was essentially give me like a tummy tuck. So they were going to cut out all the burned skin, which was from my belly button down, and um, just close it up. But I was burned from hip to hip. So... I now have a huge scar from hip to hip, but it's just a, a big red line. But before, it was all red, you know, um, disfigured burns. But they were able to take that away and just give me this sort of um, tummy tuck, which was, I guess, cool at 13. I mean, I, you know, I gained <laughs> like 80 pounds, so. <laughs> like, could, you, could you do some lipo while yeah. you <laughs> By taking some from my thighs and putting it into my ass, I could use that now. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I'm so grateful for, for that organization. And um, going to that hospital was also traumatizing for me because I felt guilty because the um, children that I encountered there ranged in all different ages. There was babies, there was, um, you know, toddlers, little children, young adults and teenagers. And there were, there were people who, there were children who were burned from head to toe. And I met this girl, her name was Yesenia, she was from Brooklyn, and we used to write letters to each other back and forth for a lot of years and send each other cards And um, after we had met, but she was burned from head to toe. She, her whole face was burned, she had no breasts, um, I think she was about 15, and I think about her when I tell the story, because I think about where she is, and I think about how disfiguring that is for her, and what what her life, what became of her life, because as a society, we're so judgmental about people's looks. I mean, it, it is the first thing you notice. It's, 
you know, if you're going to cut someone or bully someone or cut someone down, the first thing you try to you say is something about their looks. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine growing up um, and being so disfigured uh, like that. I actually felt guilty being there because um, my burns in comparison were nowhere near what she had suffered. Um, I think about her all the time. I have a, a real soft spot in my heart for anyone who's been burned because it really is traumatizing on so many levels, physically and then mentally, because your your body, it can never be fixed. I mean, you can, I think they've made strides now with treatments for burns, maybe to minimize the scarring. But back in, I think it was 2003? Or no, I'm sorry, 1993. I was going to say. Yeah, you're like, well, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 18. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but in, 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 in 1993, I mean, you know, there, there wasn't, technology wasn't as advanced, you know. So um, it was, it, it, the, the treatments were, were much different. I remember when I was originally in Waterbury Hospital after I was burned and going through these debridement surgeries, I would um, have some physical therapy. They'd bring me down to the physical therapy room which was on the lower floor and they had this enormous stainless tub bathtub stainless steel bathtub sorry um it would it would probably be the size of your dining room and it was really big and they would put me in this harness above the bathtub and i'm completely naked burned they had had to take off all my bandages so now my wounds are exposed to the air And they would have to sink me in this tub, which was um, water mixed with certain chemicals that were cleaning out my burns. And I remember being in this bathtub. You know, you know when um, like SeaWorld takes out a out a killer whale from yeah. the water in that big yeah. harness. I'm that thinking of Splash, <laughs> where they stick her in the cave. Yeah. And like, in the, yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah, they were lowering me in and raising me up. And it was so painful to be in that water with that um, chem- the chem- I don't know if it was chlorine. I can't remember what it was. God, I hope not. And, you know, of course, I had my little um, morphine drip, you know. And I would be screaming. My mom was with me every time. And think about it. I mean, she was a single mom, and she had to... She was a waitress. And how do you be there for your child and still try to pay all these bills. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was terrifying for her. She yeah. was very lucky because the restaurant she worked for and her customers ended up paying several months of our rent for us. Wow. They took care of our health insurance payments. So they really helped my mom and, and, and she and I are ever so grateful for that, for that community. But I remember being dipped into this pool and she's there pressing my, you know, I'm screaming. I'm like, mom, have you pressed the have you pressed the morphine? I need more morphine. And she's like, honey, I'm pressing it. You know, it's all timed. So right. she could press the button a million times and, right. you know, it's not going to let release anything <laughs> into the <this laughs> time. But, but, you know, there's something about, like, being in an elevator, too, where you're pressing the button and right. it makes it come faster. Yeah, that's totally <laughs> <doesn't>. <laughs> That's how it was with the morphine. Um, but when they lifted me out of the water, uh, it's that air that hits you. And, I, I mean, you know, I would be quivering as they're, you know, they have to rewrap me in several different layers of bandages. They would put this, um, this yellow uh, bandage on my burns, and it was um, had like a some type of medication on it. 
I don't remember what it's called. It was sort of oily and it smelled horrible. The whole experience of being mm. burned smells horrible. Burned skin, burned hair, all the stuff they put on. I mean, it was just a horrible smell. Mm. But they had to put that and then they would have to wrap everything individually. It was took them like two hours to wrap me back up. And having your burns exposed to the air is like being burned all over again. Oh my gosh. It's horrible. It was absolutely horrible. So going through that experience, you know, and, and just describing it to you, I mean, it really is traumatizing, but I came to learn, and this took a long time, that, you know, experiences make you who you are. And I don't know where I would be if that didn't happen to me. And I really like the person I am, and I really love my life. So I wouldn't exchange that experience, you know, because um, I feel like I wouldn't be here with you. Mm. I feel like I wouldn't be married to my husband now. I, I, I don't know where I would be. Yeah. And I really love my life, and I feel like it, it taught me a lot of hard lessons. And it made me understand people better based on what I had gone through. Um, and it, it may obviously change me. I mean, you are your past. I mean, your past shapes who you are. I don't know who I would be if that didn't happen to me. And I, I really do like myself and I like my life. Yeah. So there, there is a sense of being grateful for that experience. And I know that sounds really strange. But in, in experiences like that where you're so traumatized, it alters the course of your life completely. And you have to use it to sort of fuel and empower yourself. And you have to use it, I think, in, in good ways. And I feel like I've done that. What do you think it's taught you to appreciate more about people or, or help you under... How do you think it's helped oh, you God. understand people more, relate to people more? Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone has a story. Yeah. And some scars you can see and some you can't. You know, um... I, I suffered with body issues my whole life, and I still do because of that. And I think I'm much more sensitive and tuned into people who quietly suffer with the same thing. Um, everyone has a past and everyone has a history, and you don't know what makes the man until you sit down and sort of ask them. Mm -hmm. So I think I have I, it, it allowed me to develop compassion for people at a very young age, at an age where. You're not really compassionate for other people. At, at, between the ages of 12 and 15, I don't think most kids um, see the bigger picture or see how their actions affect other people. Yeah. And so I was bullied <clears throat> um, before this. And then, of course, I was bullied after this, made fun of, you know. I had a core group of friends who really um, loved me for who I was, and I'll always appreciate that. But I was absolutely bullied. If it wasn't for my weight that I had gained because of the incident, it was because of my burns. So I, I had an understanding of being compassionate for other people based on that experience just being made fun of. And at that age, I feel like life is really tough. It really is tough. It's tough in school. You know, one minute you have friends and the next minute they all hate you. And then they like you again, and you're in the group, but you have to hate someone else. And it's really a tough age. I don't think it changes too much no. with adulthood. <laughs> you think? <I> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't evolve that much, I guess. We really don't. 
Yeah. No, some, a lot of us do, but not everybody does. Not everybody does. Yeah. yeah. Because to be honest, like if you don't know your story and if you are coming in and just meeting you right now as you are, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't notice your burns on your hand. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even get an understanding of like that you'd been through anything like that. Right. You wouldn't understand your body image issues. Right. Your issues with being heavier, with yeah. being bullied. Yeah. Um, because the way you present yourself is very, like, it gives, I feel like it gives people an opportunity to kind of judge you in the place where you're at. Agreed. And think, oh, here's this really beautiful woman with who's always put together, got her J. Crew outfits and her matching accessories and her name brand boots that I can't pronounce <laughs> and all this other BS that, like, the packaging is all shiny and pretty and gives you an opportunity to come to some assumptions. Right. Right? Yeah. And it's and even as your friend, it's easy to just kind of forget all the trials and tribulations you had in your formative years as a person. Right. And how deeply that impacts who you are as an adult. Oh, God. It's and as amazing. a friend and as... You know, and a lot of other, and you and I always joke about, maybe I joke about it more than you do, but <laughs> Candace is an only child, and I have, I have eight siblings. <laughs> so when we clash, I'm like, it's because she's an only child. It's true. It's all about Which, me all the time. Right. <laughs> and for me, I'm like all worried about everybody else. Um, but it's an interesting thing that, um, you know, we have a relationship like sisters, yeah. where it's like, we drive each other nuts, but it's like, we just love each other. And it's, and I do have the the information that just it, it just makes me love you fiercely um, and just be real with you because I know like here's this person who's had all these things happen that have shaped where you're at now and even though you know we we you and I've been going back and forth with body image issues you know when doing a lot of photo shoots together I know and that shit comes up every fucking time it because does. we're talking about the model size and their boobs I and the way it. the dresses fit and the way makeup is and what race woman we want and I'm like let's enough with the white women I want some fucking representation I agree you know and like just that kind of conversation comes up a lot or came up a lot with us when we were doing our books and working on these shoots and stuff and so it's interesting how that would bring up a lot with all of our relationships Mm -hmm. like with me and Beth and me and you and you and Beth and you know everybody and and it's just such a it's just such a an interesting thing that it just never goes away. No. It doesn't matter that it was formed when you were 12 or formed when you were 10 or 8 or whatever. That shit does not go away. No, and it really sucks. It and doesn't. You, I've worked on it in my life. I mean, I've gone to therapy, you know. Um, I lost... So the highest I ever was was about 230 pounds. And when you gain weight like that rapidly, especially at a young age... It does da- it does havoc to your body. Your body yeah. is never going to be the body that you want it to be. No matter how much you work out, no matter how much you diet, no matter what the scale says, when you look in the mirror, you don't see what you think it should look like. So I have spent my whole life battling that. And when I and was, you really don't see that though, like truly. What do you mean? How beautiful you are. Oh no, listen, I, I see that I know that I'm a beautiful woman now. When I, Which is a big deal for you to actually just say that. Well, right no, I, I, I don't want to gloss over that either. No, I think that's a big deal. I think so too. I, I think, think it's a really big deal. I think for it's you a to big deal. Yeah, but I, I think you believe it. I do. <laughs> Hello. Everyone's like, Hello. Yeah, she does. <laughs> but no, I think it's a big deal for any woman to say, I, I am beautiful. Yeah. But do I feel beautiful when I look at myself in the mirror all the time? No. 
my husband makes me feel beautiful because he doesn't see what I see. And if he does see what I see, he thinks it's great. Mm. He thinks it's beautiful. My husband and I, we have very similar stories in life. It's very Mm. interesting. We have the same stretch marks and we were both fat kids and we both got burned and we both had single mothers. So we understand each other Mm. so well. Um, and he, he understands me like, cause he lived it, but just as a boy, not a girl. But it, you know, when I look in the mirror, I do, I, I, I do think I'm a beautiful woman, but I have always strived to be perfect in certain areas that will never be perfect. It's like wishing my burns were never there. They're mm. never going to go away. You know, at some point you have to learn to love yourself. But that's really hard, and it sounds great and very easy to say, but it's not something that comes easily. You know, interesting full circle moment. I have struggled with, we had this conversation a few weeks ago, talking about looking at ourselves in the mirror naked. Mm -hmm. And I was going through this space where I'm like, ugh, like I just don't know how anybody can look at me naked and think that's hot. I want to hit that. <laughs> or I went, I went, I'm going to get sexually aroused looking at you naked. Like for me, it just, there was just never that connection of, okay, I could see that. Like right. I just have this disconnect and, and you can tell me how great my personality is. You can tell me how beautiful, I, like, okay, I, I get it. my teeth are amazing. I have a lot of great qualities, but there's that one thing that I get stuck on. Right. But I, saw a picture of my butt the other day <laughs> and I was like not naked but in my workout clothes my trainer takes you know pictures of me after I work out or right. whatever to, to track my progress well I zoomed in on the on my butt and I was like are you fucking kidding me that's my ass yeah girl your ass is looking tight what like I I, like tired of the mind and I'm I've serious. been working my fucking ass off literally to have like I've been working to shape my butt because I want I want a great butt. I think good butts are you always had a nice at. ass though. But like, but it was a SpongeBob butt for a long time, and then I lost the fat on the top part, and I've reshaped it. I worked really hard, but I had this moment where I was like, I'm actually attracted to my own butt. Well, God, right? I wish, <laughs> like, I- but it's my butt. Yeah, and I'm like that. I would I would look at that butt and be like, wow, that's a great ass. Yeah, and it's mine. That's right. Girl. And I had this whole little party for myself in my own head. <laughs> celebrating this like for your ass you had a party for ass. ass I had a party for my ass I posted that picture I will post it on the blog post about your <laughs> for your podcast it's on my Instagram it's on my Facebook I was so proud and I am still proud and you that I be. worked so hard it's mostly about that moment of me looking at a part of my body and saying I find that a part to be mm. beautiful and attractive and yeah and it's so rare for people that like I, I remember like taking baths and looking at my body and being like what the Sorry about it, girl. That's where you put the Shit. bubble bath in just to That's cover up right. the bad parts. Like more, bu- more bubbles, please. <laughs> like I'm looking at my belly floating around in there. Oh. I'm like, how will I ever lose this? And then I took a bath the other day, and I looked, and I was like thinking to myself, remember when? Yeah. And 40 pounds are gone. Well, I had the same you know? experience when I lost my weight, actually, in the bathtub. So you really? don't. Yes, I did, and you don't realize that you're losing like. When you lose weight, like you see the scale going down, you you might feel your clothes fitting a little different. Yeah. But there are like aha moments, milestones along the way where you actually see the progress. And I had a very similar experience. I was in the bathtub. Now, my highest weight was 230 and my lowest weight was about 125. And somewhere in there, maybe in the 140s, 150s, I was taking a bath and I just happened to look down at my legs and my knees specifically. And I was like, wow. My knees are good. My knees are skinny. 
I have skinny fucking knees. And I thought to myself, <laughs> well, all right, like this is great, you know? Yeah. And that's what sort of motivates you yeah. in your weight loss progress is yeah. learning to like certain parts of your body. But when you're heavy and you lose weight, you actually, the damage to your body becomes so much more clear. There's less fat to fill out and you see what you've done. It sucks. And that can be so debilitating because here you are working so hard to lose weight. You're eating everything right, you're being active, um, you're being responsible, you're taking ownership. You look at yourself and it's not what you thought it was gonna be. You know, it's certainly not uh, magazine worthy, but that's a whole nother conversation because women's images, see, no one really looks like that. And you know that as being a photographer, you know. Um, but yet we are inundated with images like that and we're expected to look like that, whether the expectation is placed upon ourselves by ourselves, mm-hmm. by other women, which is horrible, mm-hmm. or by men, which I genuinely think men really don't give a fuck. Yeah. At the end of the day, if they love a woman, they love her. And that's just the way it is. I and mean, that's yeah. been my experience. But we, as a society, ha- all have body image issues. We all do. Some are just greater than others, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting uh, conversation. And as a photographer, I don't Photoshop people to make them not look like themselves. I'll clear up blemishes or bullshit, but I'm not going to transform your body. Like, I just don't, I don't enjoy doing that. I don't enjoy, like, perpetuating the problem. Yeah, well, you know, it it, exactly. And then how does that make someone feel when they know? That mm-hmm. their body has been altered. Oh, it feels terrible. And you're like, well, I thought maybe I just looked that nice in person because that's what I feel like I look like. But mm-hmm. in actuality, the reality of the image is much different. And I don't, that doesn't sit well with me. No, it doesn't feel good. I had that happen to me by a dear friend who asked me if they could Photoshop. Oh, I the know picture. exactly what you're talking and about. And I was like, bro, you Photoshop my wrists? Oh, like, he- that's the thing that pissed me off the most. Yeah. was like, my wrists aren't good didn't even enough? look like you. It was like a cartoon mm-hmm. character. No. I remember that picture. No. <laughs> <laughs> Should we put him on blast? He's, he's not going to care. He's not. Because Hopeway is dead. <laughs> yeah. Eric, you jerk. You over Photoshop me. And I told him that after. I was like, dude, like. But he asked to do that. He you did said, ask. Sure. I yeah. did say sure. I'm like, make me look good. Which means tuck my double chin. Yeah. That's about it. Raise my tits out. Bring yeah. them up. Can, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't need a fucking thigh gap. But No. <laughs> That is not realistic. No. <laughs> but he went to town on my wrists, man. I was like, wow. God. Like of all the things to get annoyed about, the wrists. Can yeah, be but like, it's like, what, is he going to make your ears look thinner too? No. I was like, what the fuck? Oh, he probably did. He we did. We should do a before and after picture. I know that. he photoshopped my pictures too on my shoot, but whatever. pictures look good. fucking amazing. We'll post those on the blog too because they're Please. fucking great. It was five years ago. Yeah, but those Six. weren't even really photo. I mean, you you are that beautiful. Though. Thank like, you. No, it's, it's so true. Sweet. I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is true. <laughs> so photogenic. God. Oh, it's fun. She's so fun to photograph. I, I feel say. old now, nowadays, though. It's funny how you, as a woman, too, aging is, like, so tough. And when I was 25, you know, I didn't really think about these things. And now that I'm going to be 35 this year, it it is just really tough, actually. I don't know how to describe it. You're um, still so young, though. God. Oh no, and it's really silly, right? Yeah, it's not silly. It's and I, I was actually reading an article. I think Elizabeth Gilbert wrote it, or her mom wrote it. 
I believe, um, and she was talking about we we age ourselves out. Like we're talking yeah. about being old and our vision going, and we're being cre- our knees are creaky and this and that. And like it's women in their fifties talking about it. And it's like that's still too early. I like know. we're we're making ourselves feel more old than we really are. Yeah. And I, I'm actually enjoying the aging process, and I'm I'm watching my wrinkles finally come in. Like I'm not. I think I'm aging slower than some of my friends are. of the same age. Yeah. Um, you have no wrinkles. You just have I a have little... an 11. A 1. Yeah. I have a 1. Beth Chapman taught me that number, number 1. Number 1. I'm number 1 right there. <laughs> and it's from my vision going. Yeah. So I squint. So I'm like trying not to yeah. squint as it's much. The, and it's wearing my glasses. eyebrows on yeah. your forehead. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also like, I don't, it, I, I'm not, I'm not letting it bother me because I, I think, I think a big thing too, and I don't know, maybe you can clarify this because you yeah. have a really wonderful husband who oh, I God. fucking I know. love. Oh my God, he's so great. I know. And you guys are so great together. Um, and I knew your husband before, and I while I really liked him, you guys were not a match no, at we, all. We weren't he's the same. Wonderful guy, yeah. but not a match. Yeah. But so now I've seen you with you know two husbands, and this and Kistu is just wonderful. Oh, I know. So, you know, one of my fears that I have is you know growing old and dying alone and being alone and all that. And I've kind of am letting that fear go because I can't live based in fear. And no. worrying about that, and it, it's just it's it's useless. It's pointless. It is. And so it's and it, so it's, I've actually opened myself to enjoying the aging process a little bit more, and being more, and like I'm enjoying my life experience more. You, you know, and being wiser, and being smarter, and being more well traveled, and more seasoned. And it's not about. And I think a lot of it is also because I've been working out so much, and I feel really strong and yeah. very empowered and very physically fit um even though in in my journey like I know there's still a lot more I need to do and I want to accomplish with my physical fitness or whatever but I'm I'm less worried about it and I'm less scared which is really powerful so you know and I don't know if that changes if you're with the person that you absolutely are so happy with and so in love with which isn't to say it's easier but do you feel like you're you're able to enjoy your aging process a little bit more because you're with like your person? Before I met my first husband, I mean, I was you know I had dated or like you know slept with a few people or whatever, but I mean I was never in a really serious committed relationship. So when you're single, all you want to be is a couple. You know, you go everywhere in your mind. You think, okay, well I'm gonna die alone. Nobody's gonna love me. And nobody can see me for me. When is somebody going to, you know, when am I going to be someone's last phone call of the day and first phone call of the morning, you know? You you have those pity parties for yourself and you're just yearning for it. I mean, you're so desperate to find it. So I, I went through that and I went through that a little bit after my divorce. Um, not that I wanted to be coupled, but, you know, I was in a weird place. Super weird. Um, But then I met Jason, and things changed. I'll tell you, I often am afraid that I'll be like my husband will die before me, and that freaks me out. Like, I want us to go together. In my mind, that is like, you know... You don't want one to settle, have any time without the other. So it's like, okay, we're boarding this flight. If it goes down, we're together. Right. We're going together. You want some Thelma and Louise bullshit. Me? Yes, girl. <laughs> Minus Brad Picks. No. Yuck. Gross. But no, I mean, <laughs> that's where I am now. For me, For me, is it's like, I don't want to lose my husband like, in any way. 
And, you know, you think about those things, you know, your, your mind, I'm the kind of person, and I know you're the same way, your mind wanders into, like, weird places, and you're like, okay, reel it in. Like, bring it back, you're being fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but when you, you know, when you find your person, I think, yes, you, you but you, you, you would never die alone, because you have... Not only do you have a wealth of friends who love you and who are like family, but you have two amazing children who would never allow that to happen. So you would never be alone. In fact, you would be surrounded. If you've never met someone who would be a life partner for you, you would be surrounded by more love than I think most people experience because you are loved by many. And it's not just the quantity, but it's the quality of the people who truly love you that you have. So you should use that to empower you, you know? I don't think you need a man, woman, whatever. You have, you're surrounded by people who genuinely love you. And that and that's me and Jason for sure, but there are so yeah. many more. Yeah, and I'm your kids. Lucky. Yeah. And also, for the record, on my refrigerator, and I will show you after, yeah. I have a note that says, you are not going into a nursing home, and Jackson signed it. Good. Yeah, so I'm going to stay with... Well, him girl. and his wife. Hey, future wife. You're fucking, Good luck. You're fucking planning ahead here. I better like you. Yeah. What I'm saying. Dude. <laughs> I am planning ahead because I did. He wants to move in. He wants to take over the house too at some point. I love and I that. said, I'm never, I'm never leave. I'm never selling no. this house, Jack. And he's like, Well, I, but I want to. I'd love to live here. And I'm like, Well, don't kick me out. I'll be in the studio. Yes. <laughs> Give mommy a bed and a bottle of tequila. And, and the, the big tub and we're good. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I'll be here forever, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah. But it is it is an empowering um, like mind space to be in to, to actually think like, I, I think a big part of it too is like, you know, thinking of the fear of like, God, I've got to keep doing this all myself. I'm paying all the bills myself. I'm, you know, paying the mortgage myself. I can't ever just tap out and take a break. Um, and there's times I've wanted to tap out and take a break and I can't because I'm by myself yeah. and I'm paying everything by myself, you know, and, and sometimes it's nice to have a partner to shoulder the burden, but what the lesson I'm starting to learn and actually this weekend, or it's not even a weekend, a couple of days ago, um, I was away with Nikki, Jane and Amanda and we were talking about finances and all that. Mm-hmm. And on the way home, I just had this like epiphany about finances and money and like, I've been doing it on my own for years. Mm-hmm. I can take care of myself. I can provide for my family. Mm-hmm. I can save for the future. I don't need anybody's help. I'm yeah. doing this all on my own. And you have been for a I long time. I have been for a very long time, even before my divorce. I yeah. was the breadwinner. It was my company. Yeah. You know, and it's like I had this fear of like that I always needed somebody else with me to do it, mm-hmm. and I don't. No. And I think that's part of the part of the thing is, you know, when my parents got divorced, my mom had to all of a sudden like figure out finances and figure out a job and she struggled you know she was a lunch lady she was barely could make ends meet you know didn't have any extra money and you know died alone and so I have this whole you know we always want to do it differently than our parents did do better do whatever um and I've already reversed that I've already changed the changed the game I've already you know taken care of myself physically and mentally and financially and what else could I want right no, but you're right. And I think, um, you know, fear really holds us back in life. Yeah, it does. And I, I, I know that in so many instances in my life, being afraid of what people think or how you're going to be able to accomplish this or, 
you know, and owning a business too is really tough. It's really tough. It teaches you so much and you appreciate so much, but it is not easy. And you're not only responsible for yourself and your family, but also those you employ. Mm -hmm. And all of those people come first and then you as the business owner come last. So, you know, it's tough. There's tough decisions and uh, they're not always right. So I, I understand where you're coming from. If fear, it really, it, it holds us back and yeah. being self-employed is very challenging. It's one thing if you have a steady salary and you know what's going right. on, but it's another thing when you have to wake up every day and uh, pump the well mm-hmm. and hope that you pull up some water. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you make it rain. That's right, girl. It's stressful. It's even more challenging when your business is based on you as your brand. Yeah, oh, for and sure. And then it's the, it's tied into your self-esteem, it's tied into your self-worth mm-hmm. and how you value yourself or not. And, you know, that becomes even more complicated as opposed to, oh, yeah. You know, you can have a business and run a, you know, have a pizza restaurant. And like that's, it's a different thing where I don't think that's necessarily tied into your self-esteem as much as, you know. Oh, for sure. And having and, a craft. Oh, maybe, yeah. maybe not because you making a pizza is a fun but, craft, I know. But. but restaurant businesses are hard all on their own. Oh, but for the that. industry that we're in, I think it's especially difficult and obviously very unique in certain ways. But, you know, the other day I was thinking about um, owning a business and the highs that you experience, which everyone remembers mm. and they talk about when everyone's doing great and they're doing great things, they're out there talking about the greatness and how fabulous they are and gosh, we did this. But it's really the lowest of the lows that people don't like to talk about mm-hmm. or admit to themselves. And those are also those quiet moments that we sit in fear um, and we think back to, well, you know, in 2014, I was, you know, doing great and had all these bookings or had all these clients and was making all this money. What happened? And you can be paralyzed by that fear. And you can be paralyzed in just hoping that you book that next client or that next job or that sell that next item if you're, you know, selling something. Yeah. It can be really paralyzing and and fear fear needs to be a motivator in our lives it needs to be something we use to empower ourselves to accomplish because i don't like being afraid and i know you don't either i mean i like a good scare and i know you're all about a good freaking scare (laughs) if anybody's ever been to carla's house it's like a standard thing to be you know scared um by someone you know you're getting coming out of the bathroom there's somebody waiting for you to scare you I like a good adrenaline rush. Yeah, me too. I don't like fear and anxiety about um, how is my business going to survive or how am I going to make money? How am I going to pay my bills? Right. How am I going to pay my staff? Um, You know, what are people going to think? You know, all those fearful things that all of us, we all go through it. We just don't talk about it. And it's so silly because it's Mm -hmm. real and it happens to all of us. Yeah. I I mean, I've I've been trying to maintain a more, a, a very honest presence online there is a fine line because I have a lot of clients that follow me and their families and their friends and it's like you know you you don't necessarily want to put on there like I'm about to declare bankruptcy which I'm not but no or shotgunning a beer or something yeah (laughs) I know maybe it's part of my brand yeah Stands, it's all part of my brand. Yeah, tequila shot in the pantry. It's part of my brand. That's that's civilized. Yeah, though. that yeah. is super civilized. Um, yeah, there is that whole you know 
straddling of reality <laughs> I love and that fantasy. Word. I love the word. That. I straddle that. Yeah, we're Gosh. straddling that. I want you to. Media. I want you to link up some of Jim A's videos oh, of the our blooper reel yeah. is going to go on here. <laughs> like fat ass bending over. <laughs> <laughs> With the logo, did he put his logo on your butt? I think so. I think so. Too. Jubilee events, oh. and then I also want you to link up um, <laughs> Mike's um, from the first Costa Rica. Oh, we were dropping yeah. the f bomb every oh, five seconds. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, that was awesome, and that was chappy, by oh. the way. That was not me. I said shit, maybe or oh my god or whatever the fuck I said. But <laughs> she was the one totally cussing in the background. Yeah. It was chappy. Yeah, I'm gonna link up those um, yeah videos, mm-hmm. blooper reels. Oh, and then uh, what's his face? Morlock with Norlock. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me another question. <laughs> yeah, we're totally camera shy. Oh it's my really god, weird. we actually. Well, we were, it's always uncomfortable when you're in front of the camera for the first couple of minutes, and just like this podcast, you know, it's like you sort of need like a little lubricant to get going, right? Tequila. Like, hello. Mm-hmm. Like anything in life, you need a little lube, and then once you, <laughs> <laughs> once it's you know, lubricated, it yeah. fires. It's ready to go. Yeah. You know? I, that's the new tagline for the podcast. All we need is a little lube. <laughs> <laughs> like many things in life. <laughs> All you need is just a little lube. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Astro. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's like a fucking tsunami out there. Look at that. I know. It's guys, Dude. it's really raining really hard here. It's I flew blustery. I flew all the way from Barbados. For this fucking shit. Not this podcast. I mean, this weather. It's really oh. horrible right now. Oh, I was going to say, you're talking about Steve's wedding? Oh. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Steve. <laughs> um, one thing I did want to talk about, and maybe this can be sort of short, but mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about that phone call um, mm. that we had the other day. I'm... I guess bringing this full circle. Okay. Um, because if anybody's made it this far... I would really love to know if anyone else has these feelings about pregnancy, motherhood, and body image. I just want to sort of put out a little feeler. And if anybody feels like this, I would love to talk to you too because this is how I feel. And I feel like people don't talk about it very often. So a few weeks ago, I called Carla because I needed her honest opinion. And Carla and I... um, we understand each other and I can be real with her and really tell her something and she won't judge me for it or she might judge me. I was going to say, I totally know. Yeah. But like in no, a good no. way, like saying like, no. you know, girl, like get your shit together. What the fuck? Which she said to me a few times before, but, um, I needed her honest opinion because it's, it's a way that I feel that not many people could quite understand because they don't know my history. And she does with body image and weight and things like that. So, um, Jason and I thought we were pregnant uh, in the month of February, and we were pretty convinced, actually. Um, my period was way late. It was, uh, okay, let's wait until it's really late before we take the test. And, um, you know, as you do, I suppose, when you think you're pregnant, um, you try to go out for that last hurrah. Maybe you don't do that. I don't know. Don't <laughs> Sort of like, all right, well, let's get one last night out in, you know, before um, we figure this out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what alcoholics do. I don't know. Did <laughs> anyway, we went out and we had a couple drinks. I had a few drinks, a lot of drinks, and um, you know, when you drink, 
your your emotions bubble to the surface. And I really had like a mental breakdown when we got home and put my heart out on the line, which is what I called you about to get your opinion on. I mean, my sweet husband, he was so understanding because again, our stories are so similar. Um, but I was terrified to be pregnant, not because I was afraid to be sick or I was afraid to be a mom or I didn't want to give up drinking or whatever. I was terrified to be pregnant because I was terrified to get fat. Um, I didn't know what it would do to my body. I still don't know. Um, I know I would gain weight, whether even if I was being healthy, you know, following the rules and gaining, I was still going to see that number on the scale, which for anyone who has been overweight and has lost weight knows that, you know, you could go by the size of your pants or measuring your waistline, but it's really about stepping on that scale every day. And I religiously step on a scale every morning for, let's see, almost the past 14 years. So I can't part with that habit because that habit tells me whether I'm gonna have a good day or a bad day, whether I'm gonna be able to eat fun foods or eat not so fun foods and eat a can of tuna and a couple eggs and call it a day. I'm just being really honest. Yeah, you are. Um, you know, I didn't know how to give that up because you can't not gain weight when you're pregnant because you're bringing a child into the world. I was having a real hard time trying to figure out how I was going to do that. And I still have a hard time figuring out how I'm going to um, allow myself to just be and give up my habits, my rituals, I guess you could call them. Mm -hmm. The way my mind works, my relationship with food, my relationship with the scale, my relationship with my clothes, um, and how that's all tied into my self-esteem and self-worth. How am I going to give that up in order to uh, take care of someone else in my body? It's a really fucked up thing. I don't know the answer. So I'm hoping someone has the answer. <laughs> so call her. <laughs> I wish this was live. I know. So call her online too. <laughs> what the fuck do I do to do this? <laughs> it, well, w one of the things we talked about was getting into therapy and yeah. meeting with somebody who can specialize, who specializes in that with body image issues and yeah. you know weight and getting you to the place that where maybe you don't step on the scale every day. Oh, I started getting back into that habit of, you know, when I, I have such a number goal and I felt like it, it I was giving it too much power. Mm. Getting on the scale was giving the scale too much power. It was giving those numbers too much power. Mm -hmm. And and it was it would dictate if I had a good day or a bad day. Oh yeah. But my weight fluctuates by five pounds and that's normal. Oh girl, but I have a system, you see? <laughs> I only weigh myself right after I go to the bathroom every morning weigh myself for the rest yeah. of the day no so that's my lowest weight I mean listen I weigh myself every day to the point where you know I am gonna be out of town like I've flown to engage with my scale you know that I mean I, I fly I will take it with me in my luggage to weigh myself to ensure that my weight is where it should be um, or if I've overindulged I can dial it back because my self-esteem and my worth and my everything is tied up into that number, how I feel my skin is tied to that number. And when you've been fat and you become thin, you never want to go back to fat. And you will do anything and everything to not get back to fat. 
And the truth is, is that your body changes as you get older, your metabolism changes, um, the way you diet doesn't work anymore, you got to do other, so it becomes increasingly harder to stay at that, you know, weight where you feel great. And how do you give all that up, this ritual, this routine, this life that you've led for 14 years to let your body go and care more about the life inside you than the rituals, the habits, the self-esteem, the self-worth, everything else that you've been living for the past 14 years. And I know for some people this probably sounds really fucking crazy. And it's okay if you judge me. You don't understand. And that's okay. But for a lot of people, I think they... I hope that someone can sympathize with you. No, I, I think a lot of people can sympathize with you, which is makes me sad. But I get it. And I can sympathize with you, too. On and it's some, fucked up. Levels. I mean, you should... At, at the point in your life, you know, that nothing is more important than your child and ushering in a very healthy, happy, beautiful person into this world. But the fact of the matter is, is that my body is the one that has to do that. Well... I will give you some good news on an observation I had on a friend of mine who had lost 80 pounds and then had gotten pregnant. And I was really curious to see mm. if, if that was going to transform her body back. Yeah. And during her pregnancy, I know she wasn't necessarily eating the most healthy. Like she'd be like, I'm going through the McDonald's drive through again or whatever. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm not judging, but I was like, I had that panic of like, shit, is that going to, is she going to backslide? Is she going to yeah. gain all the weight back that she lost? Not only did she lose all the weight, her pregnancy weight, she actually lost 10 more pounds wow. because of breastfeeding. And then her son has uh, dairy issues. And so she's, she's on a restricted diet. Or gotcha. Um, <clears throat> she looks great and she feels great. And that's so great. her body had normalized at that weight, the yeah. 80 pounds less. You know, and that's, where, and that's kind of where I'm at too. I'm in, I'm in like a five pound limbo of, you know, I was at 242 pounds and I'm down at, I'm at like 201 or 197. Yeah. That's where I'm at. The fact that I can even say those numbers I know. for people to hear. 197. Go fuck yourself and judge. Go whatever. I don't give a shit if people know what I weigh. I don't care. Girl, I'm proud like, of my weight. I worked hard to be here. I worked hard to be here too. Yeah. But I know a lot of people would hear the weight 197 and be like, oh my God, I would never date anybody that was 200 pounds or I would never want to be 200 pounds. I'm so fucking happy to be the weight I am. And if I stay this way forever, I'm fine with it. I'm healthy. I am. Yeah. Um, but I understand that fear of going back up. And I do, I will always weigh myself at least once a week. I will. I, but I also judge myself based on how my clothes feel. And I've yeah. stopped buying stretchy clothes. Yeah. And I've donated all my bigger clothes or whatever. And like the pants I'm wearing right now are a size 12. And I went from a size 20 to a size 12. So amazing. And so, you know, I, I'm, I don't know. I think it's good to kind of like stop and just say, okay, but remember where you're at right now. Remember where you were. Don't forget where you were, but here's where you're at. I know. And I, and I think that, you know, once you are pregnant, you're, it's not going to just be this miraculous switch is turned on. You're like, oh, it's my baby. My baby's alive. Maybe it will be. Maybe it will be. But guess what? You don't feel the baby in you when you're pregnant. No, I know. You know, newly. Like, I know. It takes a while. I know. But maybe it'll kick in for you when you yeah. feel the baby move in you. And there might be these other things that change for you. and it, Or you might struggle every fucking day. Yeah. 
you don't know what it's I could tell you any anything but I don't know because in, you're just not gone through it yet. exactly and I'm, I mean yeah. everybody everyone's body's different everyone's body's different in how it gains weight how it mm-hmm. loses weight and so you know I, I don't know what's in store for me I guess that's also pretty scary I guess I'm also pissed at myself I, I'm pissed I'm pissed because I don't want to be like this I want to be one of those beautiful, fucking carefree, skinny bitches. I don't need a six-pack. I don't need a tight, bubbly, fat, beautiful ass. <laughs> Sounds good, though, right? Oh, God. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I don't need that. I want the confidence and the not caring mm. to say, you know what? Who cares? I'm going to get pregnant. I'm going to gain a little weight. What my body does, you know, it does. And I'll put the work in to get... I want to be free from mm-hmm. the chains that I feel like I have hold me do- held me down in terms of weight. And it really sucks. And I know you know. And I, and mm-hmm. I know there's people listening who understand. It is really debilitating in life. I mean, there's things in life that I don't do because I don't like the way that I look. I was just going to segue there because I feel like I need to paint a picture for people to really get how deep this runs for you. It's yeah. not just in your head no. and like whatever. She lives in Barbados and I don't even know if you've been in the ocean. I have. Um, oh. Do you see her struggling? Do you, Can you hear her struggling to count how many times and you've been there for how many years? Almost four. And she's trying to remember how many times she's actually done swimming. I actually, um, I was in the, I went in the ocean <laughs> um, the day after Christmas because I fell off a boat in my dress and it was great. I actually, sit, I was in the ocean in my tight little dress for, I don't know, two hours. I wouldn't get out. And all my friends ran in and they're like, holy shit, Candace is in the ocean. I mean, it was like super fucking right. embarrassing. But I, I I, wish that life was like that for me. And just mm-hmm. as you described, I mean, I, you won't see me in a bikini. You won't see me in a bathing suit. And people ask me, and, and it, I actually have cried when people ask me, well, how come you're at the beach and you're not in a bathing suit? And then there's me in my fucking Land's End bullshit looking all crazy. <laughs> and I'll be in the water as long as I'm allowed. Like, mm-hmm. I love being in the water and I love that weightless feeling. And I just, and the water in Barbados is the most beautiful water ever. It's fucking paradise. You I live know. in paradise. And when I go down there in May, <laughs> we're going in the fucking ocean. Well, I'll bring my terry cloth towel <laughs> with cherry cloth dress <laughs> oh my god which you could drown in i know it's so remember funny. when i almost drowned in greg lewis saved my life in the pool yes <laughs> i do but it's hard you know i mean it's no, it, I and it's hard to answer that question yeah. like why don't you wear a bathing suit well maybe because i don't love the way i look in it and maybe because i have burn scars everywhere and maybe i don't want to fucking talk about it that's how i and i get really pissed and i also get really i mean i could cry now because i just get I don't want to be that way. Then don't. But I don't Here's have a thing. choice. Yes, you do have a choice. You have a 100%. You have you have control over this, I feel. I feel like you do. And if there's anyone that's going to go in the water with you and you're going to feel like here, right here. I know. And I'm coming you. in like Love three weeks or whatever. But what about Brian Worley? He can't see me. Brian Worley can totally see you. And guess what? All the people that are going on this <laughs> trip that we're going to be down there with are the most sweet, understanding, kind and loving Allie Phillips. Give me a break. I know. Harmony. I know. Give me a break. Linda. I know. Brian. Like all these people have stories, and Brian has his own story about losing weight yeah. and feel, feeling self conscious. And that's the thing is like it's easy to do this blanket statement of. I know. But when you really 
if you're looking at who you're spending your time with and who those people are at the beach with you or at the pool with you, we're not those friends from middle school. I know. We're better, way better. I know. And it's like a freeing thing. I think it will be a freeing thing. I think it will be a terrifying thing. I think it will be a huge thing for you to have a bathing suit on and be on the beach and be vulnerable and be free at the same time. I, you, I know this is a fantasy you have, and I, I, I know how much you want it. Like I want it for you. I know. Like, you, so bad. You want, it, you want me to be in the water drinking a cocktail. Fuck yeah. You know, I know. I know we've been in the hot tub in fucking Los Sueños. Oh, my God. We were in Girl, Costa Rica. <laughs> we went hot tub time machine. We did. Just so you guys, just to, just to like, put some framework around this. <laughs> we were in Costa Rica for a photo shoot staying at this really fabulous resort, which has all these amazing prop, like uh, private homes, luxury homes. That's great. And the home they put us in didn't have a hot tub like it did last time so we broke in to several <laughs> homes to try to find one with a hot tub which we did find yep dd nickel where yeah. are you yeah i max. see you max wait, wait a <laughs> <laughs> dd yes love you dd no it, and it, this is not for me at all it, just to circle back to that and and, and make my point that yeah. you're saying you wish you had control you could take control. I you know. could. I could. But I here's the thing: you can take control to put yourself in a very uncomfortable position. That's really what it's going to be. It is. It's yeah. not going to be like the light isn't going to come out from behind the clouds. You're not going to have this big aha moment. You might, but you're putting yourself in a very emotionally vulnerable space. Oh, for sure to be judged and physical and yeah, it's it's uncomfortable and it's. But I feel like it's one of those things. You're never going to do it until you do it. And then once you do it once, and then it's, I don't know, I just, but if you want that control, then that's, that's totally up to you. It is, you know, so there's, there's, um, there's times where I see, you know, old ladies on the beach and I mean like, you know, varicose veins, cellulite, their legs are just flapping and they don't give a flying fuck. And I think to myself, okay, when I'm her age, that's what I'm going to be mm. free. That's what I'm not going to care. But I know even that's then so I'm going to be... You will, you will be because that's who you are. I'm just so wound up about it. And it sucks. And there's, it, it, it limits me from doing a lot of things that I would love to do. And it just is what it is, I guess. You know? It is what it is because you allow it to be what it is. It's very and, true. And honestly, like, I feel incredibly self-conscious when I'm on the beach in a bathing suit. I really do. Like, it doesn't matter how much weight I've lost. I still have cellulite in my legs, even though my legs are so fucking strong. Yeah. And I can leg press more than most of the men in my gym. Yeah. They're so strong, and I'm so proud of my strength. They don't look the way I want them to look. I know. And they look great in spandex. Oh, yeah. They do. Tights? But, like, fucking your legs that are off, tight and, and I'm tights. like, fuck. Yeah. You know, I see dimples and divots Ugh. and veins, and I've got you know, saggy skin in areas. And it, I just don't, I don't love how my legs look yet. Love them in spandex, but I don't love them in a bathing suit. I know. But I'm not going to deny myself the experience of being in the water, on the sand. I'm not going to not feel the air on my skin. I'm not going to, even though I cringe when I think about what people must think when they look at my body. Wow. Well, I, I do, but I just kind of shut it off and I'm like, I'm working on my tan. But the funny thing <laughs> is, is I've never looked at you and judged you. And I've been with you all over the world in all different outfits and circumstances. And bat wing. Your bat wing. Yeah. Bathing suit. A, a string. <laughs> bat wing and a string. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but, that, but, to, but then 
do you understand like oh no it's then crazy there's this flip of like I know, no but, one's judging you no it, one's looking at you and seeing those I'm things. judging me and you know what that feels I like I do I do because I just tell you I'm doing that we can wrap it up yeah okay sweet thanks for flying in from Barbados for this I know special thanks for having me <laughs> and I can't wait for part two in Barbados oh snap so yeah bring your Yeti alright yeah that's what we'll she said <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me for another episode of Eyes Up, Heart Open. If you or anyone you know is interested in sharing your story, feel free to send me a message through the site at eyesupheartopen.com. Opening music is provided by my son Jackson and my dad, Carlos Hernandez Chavez, while jamming on Thanksgiving. Background banter, courtesy of my loud brothers and sisters. The closing music is provided by the talented Noah Behrman from the song Prelude, off the album Soul Force.